Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot 2.0 goes well with both red and white and is perfect with the workout of your choice. Our hosts are Aaron Berlin, a former Kansas Jayhawk who believes the Orlando Magic will win the championship. Eventually. (laughs) His partner is Otto Strong, a man who has covered the NBA since before Dennis Rodman got his first tattoo. Fellas? Thanks, Darlene. Everybody, welcome to this edition of Catch and Shoot 2.0. I do not sound like Aaron Berlin because I am not Aaron Berlin. I am Otto Strong. Aaron is off this week, but we are joined by Bruce Bernstein, who normally is, I like to say, the captain. He is here with us today. Captain, oh, captain, my captain. Welcome. Oh, Otto, it's always great to be with you. Sorry that Aaron's not able to join you this week, but uh, again, I will do my best to fill his considerable shoes. We and we we we, we press on. We you know we do we have next next man up right. Is that that's that <laughs> next man up? So um, let let's begin with something that is that has become a story, which I mean, in a weird way, doesn't feel like it should have ever really been a story, but it is. And so here it goes. Uh, about a week ago, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, a, a, a soccer player forward for AC Milan, um, basically questioned LeBron's um, motives and desires to uh, uh, be a public force for good in the way that he is and, and the way that he has been for some time. This is not a, a, a this is not a new thing for him. But you know, and then LeBron after after uh, uh, Lakers game last week had had a he said he wasn't going to talk about that, and then he kind of slid in and had some had some things to say. And then Zlatan says something again today, uh, questioning why uh, you know, kind of, kind of taking, taking, uh, you know, backing up his own position. What, what is, what is your take here? What's going on? Well, I'm going to resist the urge to tell Ibrahimovic to shut up and kick or even dribble. That's a term <laughs> right. in soccer, right? <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. Um, but I mean, you know, he comes from a different culture. He's not, you know, from the United States. So I don't know how he can really tell LeBron James what he should or should not do when it comes to social justice issues like that in the United States. LeBron has always been a very positive force. And I, I know that you have an interview coming up in a little bit with J.A. Adonde and Jack McCallum. And J.A. made a super good point, and he'll expand on a little bit, but it's basically all LeBron has ever done is tried to advocate for people to register and vote to participate in democracy. How can anyone have a problem with that, Otto? Uh, Don't look to me for a defense. (laughs) I I will not try to play Zlatan's defense attorney on on, on this one. Yeah, I am as baffled by uh, the statement as anyone, because I, I, I mean, he had, he believed at some point he has said that he's, you know, Muhammad Ali is his, his idol, and like you know, like Ali was like kind of the gold standard for for social activism as for someone who's using their 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 celebrity and their fame earned through the athletic 
uh, forum. So look, uh, that that has been what we were, were about going all the way back to um, Jackie Robinson. I mean, like this is this is what we do. I mean, like you can even go back to Jesse Owens. Like that's part of what what our society how how we how sports has been used in our society. So. Uh, you may not want to say it, but I'll tell him, hey, man, shut up and drill. <laughs> Choose Laton, as long as we're clear. <laughs> um, let's look at the NBA. The hey, Knicks. One, the Knicks. Group of, one group of people that don't have to shut up right now are Knicks fans, Otto. Yeah, seriously. Um, I mean, what? what, what, what? <laughs> like, I mean, so, like, you know, I, I've said before, I was a Knicks fan, you know, as, as a kid, you know, during high school, high school. And then, you know, when I got into my professional life, I, I, as someone who went to sports and became a basketball editor, I kind of, not kind of, did root for the story. So some years I was a, I, and I, I was a, I was a Cavs fan. I was a Lakers fan. I was, you know, because that was the better story. Now I, I got to admit, Knicks fan being, the, the Knicks are a good story, but as someone who is a Celtics fan, how is this how is this leaving you right now? Well, you know, one of the things that I find very amusing, if you will, and I know this will sound a bit condescending because that's how Celtics fans look at the Knicks. I mean, we don't we don't look at the Knicks as anything other than yet another, you know, speed bump along the way to the playoffs for us. Yeah. So right now, as we record this at approximately 6:30 Eastern time on Tuesday, the Knicks are one half a game ahead of the Boston Celtics in the standings by virtue of the fact that they have played one more game. <laughs> now, the fact that they're even in the conversation with Boston, and the Knicks are number four in the East right now, it's a wonderful accomplishment for them. I think they've had some you know, outstanding direction this year. Uh, I think Julius Randle is probably in the conversation for most improved player. I'm not sure that he would get my vote. Actually, he wouldn't, but he's very deserving and a very deserving all-star. Um, but look, tap the brakes, Knicks fans. If you make the playoffs as an eight or a seven, or maybe even a six seed, that to me is, is a wonderful accomplishment and you should be happy with that. How do you see it, uh, Otto? Look, uh, the, the fact that there is that there is a that their that their number is just a single number and not, not like two numbers, like one zero or one one, which is what we've been accustomed to for the for the for the you know the speaking for the entire fan base uh, for so long is is definitely a wonderful feeling. It feels just like ray of sunshine, birds chirping, you know, all that stuff. Harbor, <laughs> you know, I, I think it back to the days when like going to the garden was. You know, you 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 knew you would be going to the garden in May and June because that's what we did. It's kind of like the way the way Celtics fans have been. Oh, I don't know for decades, and so it, it just just to start to feel like you could kind of spread the wings a little bit feels nice. Feels nice. Well, for the Knicks who haven't really made the playoffs in I don't know about a thousand years, it seems like. I mean, I know it hasn't been that long. I mean, they made it with Mello a number of years back. Yeah, yeah. Maybe this year's Knicks could be the Gotham City version of the Redeem Team. And speaking of that, Otto, I know you have a couple of guests coming up that, that are going to handle that topic. So uh, let's hear from you and your special guests. And we are here with Jay Adande, who is many titles here, former LA Times columnist, longtime ESPN NBA writer, and the head of the sports journalism department at Northwestern. And if that's one is not enough, we got two great talents today, Jack McCallum, Noted author, longtime Sports Illustrated writer, Basketball Hall of Fame, Kurt Gowdy Media Award winner, 2005. Gentlemen, welcome. Thanks. Good to be here. 
Thanks, cool. Otto. Good to see you again. Good Likewise. to be anywhere. Good to be anywhere. <laughs> as a matter of fact, in COVID times, it is good to be anywhere. I agree with you. Uh, we are going to we're going to take our, our our conversation out west. Um, Zlatan Ibrahimovic uh, and the and the and the back and forth with LeBron James. So uh, this started all this started about a week or so ago. Now we we tape on Tuesday, so we want to make sure that we're we're accurate with the times here. Uh, just earlier today. Uh, Zlatan had a, another response to LeBron saying, you know, athletes unite the world, politics divided. Basically what he is saying is that he thinks LeBron should take a back seat and not be as public with his um, social commentary. Um, I'm assuming that people in our, 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 our audience will know the backstory. You guys going to jump in with any thoughts and comments on where we find ourselves and Jay, I want to start with you. Well, we've we find ourselves in an interesting place in which encouraging people to vote and trying to protect the right for people to vote is divisive. And, and that's been LeBron's primary mission over the last year is the, the more than an athlete and, and more than a vote. And he's dedicated himself to trying to enable all members of our society be able to participate in the electoral process. So you tell me how that's divisive. You know, it's as as voting rights are being rolled back in in several states throughout the country. Uh, the notion that we should facilitate the right people's rights to vote, uh, and that's been LeBron's biggest passion of late. So that's divisive. That really shows where we're at when trying to encourage people to vote, trying to protect people's right to vote is something that you think an athlete should stay out of when it's something that all citizens should be encouraging. Yeah, precisely. So, so Jack, one of the things that, that struck me is, is that as Latan said that his one of his idols was Muhammad Ali at one point, <laughs> which he is the, he is the, the I mean, the, the, the cornerstone of, of that kind of athlete using using his celebrity to make to make an, um, a difference socially. I mean, is, is it not? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought this argument ended like Decades ago, um, athletes find themselves, even if they don't want to be, they're at the intersection of culture and society and, and whatever else is going on. That's where athletes are. That is where we place them. And, you you know, the idea that somebody should should shrink from that place, from that nexus where you are just by definition is is just uh, crazy. And. The problem is, is that I, you know, I don't, I don't know, Tan, but it just seems to me that he knows that accelerant. He knows that he can get, you know, he knows that's going to cause something. He knows he can find backers, you know, from the shut up and dribble crowd. Right. He knows that's going to happen. So, you know, it just strikes me as somebody out there, uh, you know, trying to drum something up that I thought, you know, should have been decided back when Ali, like, like, you know, back when his hero was uh, taking stands 50 years ago. So right. it's astonishing to me that it gets, uh, it gets fuel, but it certainly does. Yeah. W one of the things, and, and this may come across as, as a little silly, but so, you know, here we are saying athletes should stick to what they're good at. You know, athletes should, should be athletes and play sports. And today's comments were said before the start of an Italian music festival that he is co-hosting. So wait, 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 what? <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean, I know that's not a big deal, but it just strikes me as as kind of as kind of silly. Well, plus these voter rights issues are going on like they're yeah. probably going to appear before the Supreme Court. Right. So it's sort of like how how blind to the rest of society are you supposed to be when you live in the society? 
when you live in the culture. How blind are you supposed to be? The Supreme Court is going to be deciding these things, and they're very real issues. And LeBron has a whole history of speaking about them from some source of knowledge, from some place that he's done the homework. And that's another reason why, you know, I think it further uh, legitimizes it. Look, and, and even if not, I mean, look, everybody who's in the NBA at one point, they were they, they were living somewhere in a community. They're from someplace. They do not uh, their their allegiance to society doesn't end because they happen to be playing for the National Basketball Association or whatever, whatever sport. Um, sticking with LeBron, when I add a couple of names to to the group, uh, Kobe, LeBron and the Redeem team. What what can you gentlemen tell me about those three? What is going on with that? Besides the fact there's a podcast about them right there's now. There's a podcast? <laughs> wait, what? Whoa. Wait a minute. Wait, what? <laughs> Tell me more. I, I, I better download this podcast really yeah. quick. You Tell can me get more. it anywhere that great podcasts are available. It's an iHeartRadio production featuring J.A. Adande. Coincidentally, the two guys that are on here right now <laughs> exactly. did this uh, podcast. So uh, go ahead, Jay. Tell them a little <laughs> bit about it. Tell us about it. Well, you know, we, we extracted those two names because they are the two biggest personalities and, and the biggest stars. And and so we, we go a little extra on them, uh, in particular, episode two and episode three of this series focus on Kobe in episode two and LeBron in episode three. But it really is the the overall picture of how this group came together to avenge the defeat that the United States suffered at the 2004 Olympics in Athens and the wholesale changes that were made the overhaul of the usa basketball program bringing in jerry colangelo to oversee it his decision to appoint mike krzyzewski as the coach and then the players that they brought in and the team that they formed and really the most fascinating aspect of it to me is that how this collection came together to both be successful for their their mission of winning the gold medal at the beijing olympics in 2008 but also how it came to impact the nba going forward the impact that it had on Kobe and LeBron and the other members of that team and the way it sort of shaped the NBA, I'd say over the last decade. Definitely, definitely. I'm curious about how, what you could tell me about the the path for the the content. So is this content that you had or this is, is this content that you uh, uh, acquired after 2008? And kind of, if you could tell the, tell the folks how it got, how it came into being. Well, the, the I had done a podcast about the dream team the previous season. And I had had all these tapes from, I, did a, I wrote a book on them uh, 10 years ago, and I had their voices on tape. And that became sort of the backdrop of the, uh, didn't become sort of, it was the backdrop of the series. Well, what was the name of the series? <laughs> that was the name of the series, and it was great. And some of them were scratchy, and you couldn't hear them. And I interviewed guys in cars and restaurants, but that was sort of part of the verisimilitude of the whole thing. Sure. Well, when we thought about this idea, uh, yeah, okay, let's go do it. But you have to create the content. J.A. and I had to get, and we really divided up the responsibilities. I was kind of better getting the older guys. <laughs> you know, I was better getting Krzyzewski, Jerry Colangelo, Bayheim, and Dan Tony were assistants on the team. Jay did an amazing job coming through with the players. No, we didn't get LeBron, but we got Jay Kidd. We got Carmelo Anthony. We got Chris Bosh. We got Darren Williams. So the, a podcast, in our opinion, comes alive with the voices you get. 
Right. And as we started to get the voices, that's when it kind of, we had some trouble getting started. Right, Jay? I mean, there, where, where this, are you going? It was challenging. <laughs> yeah, it was challenging. Because how do you tell the story? We can tell a story, but you got to hear other voices. And when all of a sudden we started doing these interviews and everybody was better than the next person, it was like, okay, we, we got it. And it's kind of like writing. I used to tell, you know, when I taught my students, if I had the voices there, if I had the raw materials, the guys talking, the job's done. Okay, writing isn't always easy, but the hard part is getting the material. And we were enormously lucky to have gotten what we got. Yeah, and, and even people like like that you might not know, like Sean Ford and Craig Miller with USA Basketball and some of the inside and the stories that they told us. Uh, so the first few interviews weren't the biggest names, Shevsky and D'Antoni and Sean Ford, Craig Miller, but the stories were really good. And I started thinking, like, okay, this is this is going to be fun. And this can be good. Uh, Jack set up an hour that we had with Mike D'Antoni, or I'm sorry, with uh, Mike Shashevsky, and that was amazing. And he just seemed like he could sit there all day and talk about this. And uh, you know, I, I was getting guys like Robert Ory to talk about Kobe Bryant. And then um, yeah, when we got Jason Kidd. We we really needed that player perspective, and it felt like that unlocked some doors. And then Carmelo was really great. And then Jack was actually able to get, he left out one of the big gets that he got was Phil Jackson mm. to talk about Kobe and the arc of his relationship with Kobe Bryant. So that really is featured in episode two. And we'll hear some more about him later in the series as well. Uh, so just this, this mix that we got and the perspective that they all have, they're talking about things 10, 15, in some cases, even 20 years ago, but similar to the last dance where I think that really benefited from the, the time away from it and the right. time, the ability to look back uh, and the maturity, the additional maturity that they have. I think that comes into play with this story now as they look back on the events that led up to the 2008 gold medal. I would definitely imagine that would be the case. I would I would want to think that this would have been a much different project and in a way not as good if it was done in 2009 or, or 2010. And so I'm wondering what were some of the kind of uh, learnings, if you will, or, or kind of the 10 years out, what, what, what are they, the reflections that, that are hitting them? Uh, any, any ones that, that come to mind? Well, I found out from the dream team. I did that now when I did the book, that was 18 years after. And what I found was, and it's the same thing we're finding here, how important this moment was. The Olympics are funny, you know, like the editor of sports illustrated used to say, nothing is deader than the Olympics the day after the Olympics. You know, it's like you you kind of forget about them. Now, the dream team enlisted, you know, existed on this plane hovering above everything and it never left anybody. But to a certain extent, 96, 2000, 2004, we kind of forgot about, uh, you know, the basketball. 2008 was sort of the they're called the redeem team. They redeem they they were the redemptive force in recapturing our uh, our preeminence in international basketball. So to those guys, that was a really important time. And therefore, they were able to, we, we thought of, hey, let's get some, well, how long you want to talk to us? Well, you always, by the way, the young journalists out there always say you want 20 minutes when you want 15 <laughs> minutes. But, you know, never say I want an hour because they'll say, screw you, you're not going to All these guys were talking, right, Jay? And we had to kind of stop them. We kept 
being afraid we were taking up too much of their time. This was an important part of their life because the Olympics is very special. No matter what you've done in the league, I can't say 100% of the guys, but all these guys, Jordan, Magic Bird, up to these guys, this was the most important, most significant thing they did. And Otto, I would say what mattered to them, what emerged from our conversations as meaning the most to them was the bond that they formed. And in particular, their ability to get Kobe Bryant to be a part of that group. Carmelo in particular, really uh, almost emotionally, as he recalled the, the, how they were able to tear down the walls, as he said, brick by brick and get Kobe to really be a part of the group. And that meant a lot to Carmelo. You can tell when we talked to him and uh, Coach Krzyzewski, the fact that I think he had a little trepidation, right, Jack? Don't you think that was yeah. fair to say? Is he come in? Well, how are they going to accept this college guy coming in and trying to teach these NBA superstars what to do? And the fact that they believed in him and that they listened to him and the connection that he formed with them really mattered to him. And so that's as they look back, I think that what they mattered, what mattered to them was the bond and, and the achievement that they were able to form or or accomplished because of that bond. There's a, also Otto. You're down. You're down in uh, in Texas, I believe. They, you know, they picked uh, Mike over Greg Popovich. So there's a lot of little stories going on that even I, I remembered that, but there was yeah. a lot of things I had forgotten that they had come to this point where Pop by that time had won two NBA championships. You couldn't name somebody who wouldn't say he was a great coach. But yet they sort of counterintuitively, okay, Shashevsky's a big name, let's face it. But it was it was the the stated belief was a pro coach has to coach pros. Yet they, they picked Shashevsky over somebody who was overwhelmingly probably by that point. Well, Phil was still in the Phil was still in the uh, in the league, you know, considered a genius of a coach. So that's a little bit of a story we get to tell. Uh, in, in one episode. And uh, that in itself was really pretty, uh, pretty interesting to hear the backdrop of why Krzyzewski was chosen over Popovich, because I didn't know that story myself. It has to do with a, a phone call that didn't go very well. <laughs> yeah. But, so but it also had to do with the guys that supported Krzyzewski, Jerry Colangelo, who we refer to as the God, the Godfather, he convened this meeting in Chicago and he had everyone who had been associated with uh, Olympic basketball over the last Jordan was there trying to get Jordan at a meeting with no money involved. <laughs> Larry Bird, you know, he had a Dean Smith. Oh, I'm John Thompson, John yeah. Thompson. And the idea there was to give Colangelo uh, intelligence about who he should pick as the coach. And it was out of that meeting that uh, Shashevsky became the uh, became the coach. Thanks to a surprising advocate for Coach K. <laughs> yeah, there were a couple of them. I guess we can tell who that's in a. Well, well, we can leave a little mystery now. What, what, yeah, we'll leave a little. Mystery. There, there's a surprising person who vouched and advocated for Coach K. I thought two two surprising true. ones really, but uh, it was interesting. Okay, so uh, all right, people, they're, they're telling they're telling you everything you need to know. Just, just now, where 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 can they where can they check it out? Wherever you get your fine podcasts, so right, Apple well, Podcasts, Spotify, all the podcast platforms, it's available. 
even okay. your crappy podcast you can find <laughs> it, even, at those, even at those places but it's a diversion podcast uh diversion is the name of the podcast company they're putting out great podcasts and it's on iHeartRadio. radio tell you the truth somebody asked me the other day I, I don't know why they make a big deal about where to get your podcast i just googled it right? well, there you go there you go i, I googled it up it came on uh, my laptop so there you go so, so uh, to 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 the current season, we're we now find ourselves on the cusp of yet another NBA All Star break. However, this is unlike any other NBA All Star break. Um, March get, Madness, yeah, right, exactly. Before we get into the kind of particulars of it, what are your takes on uh, just the the fact that there is one, given where where we are with everything with COVID um, in Texas earlier today, Governor Abbott um, lifted the mask mandate order, so. While the game is Atlanta, which is obviously not Texas, but still, it's you know we're still at a at a, at a kind of a precarious point with with COVID. I feel uh, so. What are, what are your what are your thoughts on? It's something that uh, we've learned through this is that the games will march on and the money will be made. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry for the use of the passive voice there, but uh, that's been the overriding factor. That they're, they're going to find a way to get these games in and make their money, and it's clear that. This means enough to Turner Broadcasting, which has the All-Star Weekend rights, which one of the broadcast partners of the league. Uh, this is a significant financial uh, expenditure and money maker for them. So they weren't going to go without it. And so therefore, the league is going to have it uh, at a time where we should be prioritizing safety and health and minimizing risk and exposure. But they're they're going to put all that to on the table in order to get this game in, in order to get that money in, just like they've been trying to get this whole season in all 72 games of it, it might be a reduced season, but they're going to they're get the minimum amount necessary to satisfy the local TV contracts, and then they're going to satisfy their national broadcast partners as well. Once again, LeBron was, you know, outspoken on this issue. I don't, I don't want to be there. And one of the interesting things to me is that as I watch games this year, and I can't say I've been plastered in front of the television every night. I mean, there's this sort of weird reality with the games let's face it oh well there's two canceled next week oh he's under covid protocol Mm -hmm. oh kevin so let's face it it ain't normal but when i watch a game uh i don't know i see pretty good effort i mean i see a guy i see what's going on in denver you know which is really the way the level that jokic is playing at it's going to be interesting to me to see if lebron at age 36, Jay? 36, 37. Is he going to, I mean, last year, this guy, you know, went into the bubble and seized control of this season, was remarkable again. Is he going to be able to do that again? So the presence of COVID and all this stuff does present a whole other uh, bunch of scenarios that are interesting to see who plays out. The Nuggets, for example, last year in the bubble were unbelievable you know, Murray and Jokic, but still they couldn't get by, you know, they couldn't get to the finish line. That's an interesting little sub subset for me of, of uh, what's going on, even though we are, can't pretend it's a normal season. Are, are the jazz for real, right? Is this sustainable? Yeah, what we've the seen other from one, them, can that, can that translate into a run at a championship? Uh, Jack, I think you're like me in that you got to see it first. They, they got to show it to you. <laughs> of course. you know, talk to, talk to me when you get past the first round of the playoffs and then we can have a serious conversation. But some of the things they do and the metrics that support uh, their success, you have to take notice of it and, and think that they're going to be a contender all the way down the line. 
And the Knicks are one game over 500. We're let's play in the parade, man. Get it, you know. <laughs> they are paraded, Jack. They're dance. They're literally <laughs> dancing in the streets in New York over uh, one game over 500. Well, I'll no. tell you what, though, if you would have looked, I, I I wish I had to stay. I might be wrong about this. I should have got the standings up, but they're. If you would have said uh, in whatever we're in March, they have a better record than the Celtics, because yes. that is true, That's right? Some, I mean, that would yes, be an accomplishment. That would be un- unbelievable. And you know, there's people that are obviously teams that are falling by the wayside. You know, the the Celtics, uh, Celtics being one of them. You know, nowhere near what we thought they were going to be. Yeah. Yeah, New York is definitely uh, bringing it, and not not you know. And then there's that other team in New York, you know, Brooklyn, which is uh, which is which is going to be have some interesting. Uh, they'll have some interesting choices to make uh, as far as as far as offense is concerned. I mean, one of the things I wanted to, to say about the bubble because you mentioned the bubble, and you know, and we talk about LeBron and his age, and one of the things that that happened last season that, or I guess that didn't happen last season, is there was no travel, so. You know, it's. I guess it one might be one thing for a 22 year old guy to have a you know flight every other day. I mean, the if the if the fine. There's no way to say that the finals would have played out the way it played out if travel was involved. But Lakers, Miami, back and forth, cross country. What kind? What the toll might have been on somebody like a, like a LeBron older player? Um, I felt like the no travel might have um, assisted things there. But that's quite possible but there's also the factor i i think as long as we've been you know and i've been watching basketball professionally for 50 years we're going back starting and watching high school ball i mean is there any other sport where momentum and the crowd mean something so a guy like lebron you're right he might have been better resting and everything like that but some of that ability to feed off the crowd and things like that which is now absent it takes a real professional to to put that kind of motivation in your head and play as hard as he plays. I'm sorry, you know, you do play with the fuel of the crowd once in a while. And that being absent uh, is really one of the remarkable things to me about, uh, you know, a guy like LeBron can still be using whatever is inside of him, you know, as his fuel. <laughs> But also, he could refuel with whatever means were available to him. And he had his hyperbaric chamber shipped to Orlando <laughs> and installed in his hotel. So think about that. Usually, you can't have that. I don't think he travels with it during the playoffs. So he was able to use it if he wanted to. I don't know how much you can or should use it. But if it was available to him after every game. So to recover after every game, you wonder if that made a difference. But let's go back to the regular season that he had. And to think that he was a legitimate MVP candidate, he got some first place votes. Uh, I think Giannis was a, a worthy recipient of the award for the regular season. But then clearly LeBron was saving something for the playoffs because we saw him go to another level in the playoffs, bubble or not. Yeah. He was playing at about as well as we've seen him play, especially in the, the latter part of the playoffs. Yep. So the fact that he could make a run at an MVP in second or third gear <laughs> yes, and yeah. then and then upshift once he gets to the playoffs that's pretty amazing this deep into his career he's coasting that might be too strong a word but he's coasting to an mvp runner-up during the regular season this this happened every year you know it, when i was back voting not every year but you, you, you always voted for the mvp 
after, uh, you know, before the final started, before the playoffs started. And any time you didn't vote Jordan as the MVP, <laughs> however many years that was, you look stupid by the time it was done because, <laughs> you know, you, but I understand that you can't, it's not the finals MVP. They also have that, you know, but always, uh, always count on the brand A guys <laughs> in, mm-hmm. in May and June or whatever the months are going to be right now. That's who you, uh, that's who you count on. Well, guys, it's been a fascinating conversation. I, I asked for 20 minutes, and I, and I, and I feel like I'm going to about to get 30 or 40 <laughs> if, we, if, we, if we don't cut it here. So uh, uh, once again, thank you to Jay Donde. I want to thank Jack McCallum, uh, the podcast, Kobe LeBron, the Redeem team. Uh, check out wherever podcasts are available. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. That was dope. Otto, that was a really, really interesting discussion. And if you don't mind my saying, I thought you did an outstanding job letting those two guys play off each other. Sometimes less is more. And when it comes to conducting a segment like that, I I tip my cap to you. That was extremely well done. Hey, sometimes when the ball is moving and you're just standing off to the side, it's like it's just hey, let let the play develop. Exactly. Now you know. Let let's let's take a minute or two to just kind of reflect a little bit on what those guys said. I loved the fact, the the way the description they gave of how Jerry Colangelo, the president of USA Basketball, whom they referred to as the godfather, and I think a lot of people refer to him as the godfather of many things, Mm -hmm. did such a great job collecting intel from a lot of the people who really, really mattered, whose opinions were important. And that, to me, is a sign of great leadership when somebody who really did have the authority to just kind of say, I'm doing this, chose not to, chose to bring in people that he trusted and that seems to be how uh, Mike Shashevsky became the coach of the uh, the Redeem team. So uh, that really is going to stick with me. And when I listen to those podcasts from those guys, it'll be really interesting to hear them expound on that a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm, I'm curious about that as well. And also just kind of the, the dynamic with, with um, Carmelo talking about recruiting Kobe or getting after Kobe and knocking down the wall. They refer to a brick wall. Uh, and so I'm kind of curious to see where that where that's uh, where that's going. Yeah. So anyway, so, all right, we're, uh, as we record this again, as we said on Tuesday, we're a few days away from All-Star Weekend, and we're not going to go back and forth again about the whole All-Star thing, although Jack and J.A. did a little bit of that. But I think for us quickly, we need to whip through some quick mid-season awards. So I'm going to start with MVP, and I'm going to tell you uh, mine. To me, it's a two-man race right now between Joel Embiid and LeBron James, but for me, it's LeBron James. How about you? So you're not wrong, and uh, and I will I will come I will come clean completely. I had Luca at the Luca Doncic at the start of the season, and even though he has had some tremendous uh, games and tremendous performances, you cannot overlook what LeBron is doing now, especially with the absence of Anthony Davis. So, uh, most improved player, what do you got? Well, for me, uh, I got to go with Zach Levine of the Chicago Bulls. Uh, you know, he was always a guy who could, you know, get you buckets. But this year, he's getting you buckets. He's also playing some defense. And oh, by the way, the Bulls are a threat to make the playoffs this season. Uh, who do you have? Well, you know, you go so go from threat to making the playoffs to a team that's actually would be in the playoffs, and that would be the New York Knicks. So I got to go with Julius Randle. I mean, uh, you know, again, it'd be one thing if they were in the normal spot where they're in the, you know, in the in the tweens, if you will, or the teens. But the fact that they're the Knicks are a four seed, I got I got to give it up to Randle. 
So is your coach of the year somebody who also is associated with the Knickerbockers? I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say Coach Tibbs deserves uh, deserves the nod. And, you know, I, I know he's got he's got those guys playing defense, which I think was always going to be the key for them. And so I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy that they're doing what they're doing. How about you, sir? And my preseason choice for coach of the year was Monty Williams of the Phoenix Suns, because I really did expect them to take a major leap forward with Chris Paul running the show. And nothing I've seen has changed my mind. I got Monty Williams as my coach of the year. And finally, I think this one we may have some similar thoughts on. Rookie of the year, you go first. Well, I think it's just going to have to be LaMelo Ball. I mean, you know, he's he's doing so much for them. And it just seems like, it, you know, it's every, with certain awards, it just feels like there's a consensus that builds. And even though, you know, we could look at Andrew Wiseman out in Golden State, I just feel like this is going to be going to LaMelo. I just... I LaMelo was my preseason pick for rookie of the year, mostly based on the fact that he was playing for a team that was probably not going to make the playoffs and he was going to get a lot of minutes. And a lot of times that's how you kind of win rookie Mm -hmm. of the year, right? You put up numbers for a mediocre team, but he's done much more than that. He's really been, uh, he's, he's learned how to shoot for one thing. He's, he's a very credible three point shooter. I think the other night, Draymond Green said something, he was tweeting during the game and he said, LaMelo ball's a problem. So I think uh, I got I got to go with Lamelo Ball also. So uh, I think we're running out of time here. You want to get us started on the credits? Uh, I'll get I'll get us started on the credits, but I'll say one more thing. This is like I think the third or fourth time in a row that we we are we are um, acknowledging uh, Draymond Green here. You know, we, we we talked about it before. So just just gonna let that linger in the air as, as we as we fade fade away. So thanks to everyone for listening to this edition of Catch and Shoot 2.0. Want to thank our producer Scott Turkin, the man in the chair. Want to thank our other producer Bruce Bernstein, the captain, who is also my co-host today. Uh, Aaron, we'll see you next week. And want to thank also our editor Kristen Woolley. Yes, thank you to. All of those folks, including myself. Haha. <laughs> anyway, uh, and please, we got a bunch of Pure Hoops Media shows that we hope that you guys will listen to. The Mike Wise show that dropped on Monday has legendary Boston Globe and ESPN sports personality Bob Ryan, who had Celtic stories that were unbelievable, including one about the late Paul Westfall that I had never heard before. And my jaw dropped when I heard it. So I'm going to just kind of leave it through the old Jay Adonde tease and, and leave it hanging there. Hopefully you guys will check that out. Uh, of course, uh, Jenny Fisher and Kara Kay have full court each Tuesday. Uh, this very show, Catch and Shoot 2.0, as you well know, Otto and Aaron each Wednesday. Thursday, we have Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt and King McClure. And Fridays, uh, the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and our pal Eric Newman. Over the past week, we reached a somber milestone, 500,000 deaths for COVID-19 in the United States. Please, people, do not add yourself to that list. Wear a mask, wash your hands, social distance. It means a lot. Take care, everybody. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.